This is Space Time, Series 24, Episode 38. Coming up on Space Time. Planet Earth safe from the asteroid Apophis for at least the next 100 years. Discovery of a nearby super-Earth. And Gilmore Space to launch six fleet space technology satellites in 2023. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. Astronomers have now ruled out the possibility of the asteroid Apophis slamming into the Earth in 2068. New data by NASA's Center for Near-Earth Object Studies suggests there's no risk of the 370-metre-wide space rock hitting our planet for at least the next 100 years. The near-Earth object was thought to pose an ever-so-slight risk of impacting the Earth in 2068, but new radar observations have now ruled that out. Ever since its discovery in 2004, asteroid 99942 Apophis has been regarded as one of the most hazardous asteroids threatening the Earth. But that impact assessment has slowly been changing as astronomers were able to get better and better data on Apophis's orbit. However, up until now, there's always been some outstanding issue with Apophis, resulting in it continuing to pose a threat to the planet. But now, results from a new radar observation campaign, combined with the most precise orbital analysis yet completed, have helped astronomers conclude that there is no risk of Apophis impacting our planet for at least a century. Apophis quickly gained notoriety as an asteroid that could pose a serious threat to the Earth when astronomers studying its initial orbital details predicted that it would come uncomfortably close to the Earth in 2029. Now, it wasn't going to hit the Earth on that occasion, but it was going to be awfully close, and depending on how Earth's gravity perturbed its orbital trajectory, a potential impact during another close approach in 2036 couldn't be ruled out. But as astronomers made more and more observations of Apophis's orbit, they were eventually able to completely eliminate the possibility of a 2036 encounter. However, up until now, the possibility of an impact during another encounter in 2068 still remained. That was because of something called the Yukovsky effect. Yukovsky effect comes about because of heat from the sun warming up part of an asteroid's surface. And as that asteroid revolves, that heat is released back into space, providing an ever so slight but nevertheless definite amount of thrust. And it was possible there could be just enough thrust from the Yukovsky effect to cause an impact in 2068. When Apophis made a distant flyby of the Earth back on March the 5th, astronomers took the opportunity to use powerful radar observations to refine the estimate of its orbit around the Sun with extreme precision and that enabled them to confidently rule out any possible risk of an impact in 2068 and long after. It seems the distance between Apophis and the Earth will be sufficient that no amount of the Yukovsky effect would be enough. David Fanaccia from NASA's Center for Near-Earth Object Studies says recent optical and radar observations mean the uncertainty in Apophis's orbit has now collapsed from hundreds of kilometers down to just a handful when projected to 2029. And this greatly improved knowledge of its position in 2029 provides more certainty for its future motion, allowing astronomers to finally remove Apophis from the risk list. That refers to the Century Impact Risk Table, which keeps tabs on asteroids and comets whose orbits take them so close to the Earth that an impact can't be ruled out. 
To arrive at the latest Apophis calculations, astronomers used the 70-metre radio antenna of NASA's Deep Space Communications Network at Goldstone, California, in order to precisely track Apophis's motion. That was during Apophis's most recent close approach to the Earth on March the 5th, but at the time it was still nearly 17 million kilometres away. Even so, the scientists were able to acquire incredibly precise information about its distance with an accuracy down to 150 metres. Goldstone also worked in collaboration with the 100-metre Greenbank Radio Telescope in West Virginia to enable imaging of Apophis, showing it has a bilobed or peanut-like appearance. That's relatively common among near-Earth asteroids larger than 200 metres across. In fact, at least one in six have two lobes. Astronomers are also working to develop a better understanding of the asteroid's rotation rate on its spin axis, known as its spin state. That knowledge will enable them to determine the orientation the asteroid will have with Earth as it encounters our planet's gravitational field in 2029. That could change the spin rate and even cause asteroid quakes. In roughly eight years from now, on April the 13th, 2029, Apophis will pass less than 32,000 kilometres from the Earth's surface. That's closer than the orbits of many satellites. And during that 2029 close approach, Apophis will be visible to observers on the ground in Europe, Africa and Western Asia without the need of a telescope or binoculars. In fact, it will be the closest asteroid of its size in recorded history, becoming as bright as magnitude 3.1 and visible with the unaided eye from rural and darker suburban areas and clearly visible with binoculars from most locations. It'll also be an unprecedented opportunity for astronomers to get a close-up view of a solar system relic that is now simply a scientific curiosity and not an immediate threat to our planet. This is Space Time. Still to come, the discovery of a nearby super-Earth and Gilmore Space to launch six fleet space technology satellites aboard their Ares rocket in 2023. All that and much more still to come on Space Time. Astronomers have discovered a super-Earth exoplanet orbiting a star just 36 light-years away. A report on the pre-press physics website archive.org says the planet, designated GJ740b, has about 2.96 times the mass of the Earth. It was discovered orbiting a red dwarf star using the radial velocity or wobble method. This involves observing a slight Doppler shift in the motion of the host star caused by the gravitational pull of the planet as it orbits around it. The observations suggest this planet's orbiting its host star every 2.377 Earth days, at an average distance of just 0.029 astronomical units, giving it an equilibrium temperature of 729 Kelvin. A little bit hot for life as we know it. An astronomical unit is the average distance between the Earth and the Sun, which is around 150 million kilometres or 8.3 light minutes. Given that the radius of JG740b is unknown, the composition of the planet is yet to be determined. However, its mass and short orbital period suggest that it's likely to be a rocky or terrestrial world. JG740b was detected following 11 years of spectra of the host star using the Harpsend spectrograph installed on the 3.9-metre National Galileo Telescope in Spain as part of the Hades or Harpsend Red Dwarf Exoplanet Survey. Additional data was obtained using the Carmina spectrograph on the Cala Alto Observatory. 
Of the more than 4,500 exoplanets so far identified, over 600 were detected using the radial velocity wobble method, and 116 of those were found orbiting red dwarf stars. Red dwarf or spectral type M stars are smaller, far less massive, and far cooler than the Sun, and they're by far the most common type of star in the Milky Way galaxy. The host star in this system, JG740, has about 0.56 solar radii and some 0.58 solar masses. That makes it a little bit over half the size of our Sun. It has a surface temperature of 3,913 Kelvin and a rotational period of 35.56 Earth days. That compares to the Sun's surface temperature of 6,000 Kelvin and its rotational period of around 30 Earth days. The radial velocity data on the star also suggest that the system may host another planet, more massive and further out from the star, with maybe 100 times the mass of the Earth on an orbital period of some 9.3 Earth years. The number of exoplanets discovered has grown dramatically since the first, the hot Jupiter 51 Pegasi b, was confirmed in 1995. Understanding these distant worlds, their compositions and atmospheres, and their potential for life has become a major branch of astronomy. One of the many telescopes trying to uncover these mysteries is NASA's famous Earth-orbiting Hubble Space Telescope. This report from NASA TV. Exoplanets are very difficult to detect because they are tiny little objects orbiting very bright stars. Other telescopes are designed to be better detectors of exoplanets. But what Hubble is used for is to find, for some of them, the atmospheric composition of these exoplanets. It has to be a system that just by chance has to be aligned so that the planet is orbiting its star along the line of sight of the Hubble Space Telescope. For doing a lot of the exoplanet observations, you have to catch what's known as a transit. One, the orbit of the exoplanet has to be such that it's going to go between you and the star it's going around. And then you have to do the timing. We can't just do an exoplanet observation whenever we want or whenever it's convenient. We have to do an exoplanet observation when it's first starting to go into the star. So they have to know very accurately the timing of that. We have to schedule it ahead of time. This is not something that you know, Hubble can get around to when it wants to. We have to say, no, at this point in time, on this date, you have to be pointed here and you have to be looking here. When that planet passes in front of its star, the starlight, some of it is blocked by the planet, but some of it comes through the outer ridge, the outer rims of the atmosphere of that planet on its way to the Hubble telescope. Some of that light is absorbed by whatever is in that atmosphere, and it is absorbed at very particular frequencies that correspond to the atoms and molecules that are in the atmosphere of that exoplanet. Then when the Hubble telescope receives that light, and we take it in usually with a spectrograph, we get the light, we spread it out into its constituent colors or wavelengths of light, and we can tell which of those wavelengths have been absorbed. And that tells us by the pattern of spectroscopy, what are the elements and molecules that are found in the atmosphere of that planet? Hubble has detected things like sodium and hydrogen, and even evidence of methane and water vapor 
by using transit observations of exoplanets and measuring not only that composition, but also the height of the atmosphere, which can tell us something about how heavy the atmosphere is, and that tells us something about its composition as well. Hubble was the pioneer in doing that, and now other observatories are also using the transit technique to analyze the atmospheres of exoplanets. And in that report from NASA TV, we heard from senior project scientist Dr. Jennifer Wiseman and lead optical systems engineer Mike Vance. This is Space Time. Still to come, Gilmore Space to launch six fleet space technology satellites in two years using their new Ares rocket. And Russia launches 36 OneWeb satellites using its Soyuz. All that and more still to come on Space Time. Gold Coast company Gilmore Space have signed a contract to launch six fleet space technology satellites aboard their Ares rocket in 2023. Fleet Space are developing a 140-strong Internet of Things nanosatellite constellation. The South Australian-based company launched its first commercial nanosatellites back in 2018, and its fifth was launched just last month from New Zealand aboard a Rocket Lab Electron rocket. The Russian Federal Space Agency Roscosmos has launched 36 new OneWeb Internet satellites into orbit. The flight aboard a Soyuz 21B rocket fitted with the frigate upper stage was launched from the Vostokny Cosmodrome in Russia's Far East. OneWeb is developing a global broadband internet satellite service in direct competition with SpaceX's Starlink constellation. Unlike Starlink, which is planning a constellation of 30,000 satellites, OneWeb is looking at an initial constellation of just 650. Still, it's going to get awfully crowded up there. The 150-kilogram KU-band OneWeb spacecraft are being placed into 12 near-polar orbital planes at an altitude of 1,200 kilometres. OneWeb's first six test satellites were launched aboard a Soyuz from the European Space Agency's Kourou spaceport in French Guiana back in February 2019. That was followed by launches in February and March 2020 from the Baikonur Cosmodrome in the Central Asian Republic of Kazakhstan, also aboard Soyuz 21B rockets, each carrying 34 satellites. And then another 36 satellites were launched aboard a Soyuz 21B from the Vostokny Cosmodrome in December. Vostokny is destined to become one of Russia's most important spaceports, designed to reduce reliance on the Baikonur Cosmodrome built in the days of the Soviet Union and which Moscow is now forced to rent from Kazakhstan. Ariane Space, which is contracting all the OneWeb launches, are slating another 14 Soyuz flights to complete the OneWeb constellation by the end of next year. This is Space Time. And time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with the Science Report. A new study has found that as climate change continues to warm Australia's coastal waters, scientists are finding increasing numbers of tropical species invading the formerly temperate reefs off the New South Wales Pacific coast. A report in the journal Global Climate Change Biology says while there have been clear winners and losers due to this enforced migration, surprisingly, scientists are finding greater diversity and more abundance of fish overall. 
Researchers were studying the diversity of fish populations on the reefs surrounding the Solitary Islands Marine National Park off the coast of Coffs Harbour. They compared changes over a 17-year period, during which sea temperatures warmed and tropical fish numbers increased. Disturbingly, they found the once plentiful kelp forests in the area had vanished completely by 2009. That's resulted in the loss of a key ecosystem and a decline in three local species of fish, including the Senator Rass, a colourful fish that was synonymous with the kelp forest habitat. The authors say the loss of kelp also means a loss of carbon capturing capacity, further affecting the system. Paleontologists have described a new theropod dinosaur species in Argentina. A report in the journal Vertebrate Paleontology describes the new species named Leucalcan aleocranianus, or the one who causes fear, as a carnivore the size of a large elephant. Scientists say it roamed the earth about 80 million years ago and had an extremely powerful bite with sharp teeth, a keen sense of smell and huge claws for feet. The dinosaur was an abielisauroid, a family of dinosaurs averaging between 5 and 9 metres in length, which prowled what is now Patagonia and other areas of the ancient continent of Gondwana. While they resembled Tyrannosaurus rex in appearance with short stubby arms, they differed in having unusually short deep skulls and often bore crests, bumps and horns. Scientists have developed a through-the-air energy harvesting technique that can use 5G technology to power electronic devices. The research, published in the journal Scientific Reports, says the device uses the 5G network as a wireless power grid for energising Internet of Things devices that need batteries to operate. The key was the development of a flexible Reitman lens-based rectifying antenna, or rectenna, capable of harvesting millimetre wave energy in the 28 gigahertz band. Rotman lenses are used in beamforming networks and radar surveillance systems to see targets in multiple directions without physically needing to move the antenna system. But the researchers needed large aperture antennas to harvest enough power to supply energy to devices at long ranges. And the problem is large antennas have a narrowing field of view which limits use over a wide area. The new technology allows use of a large antenna that's direction agnostic. In other words, it can receive power from any direction. The new technology achieved a 21-fold increase in harvested power compared to a reference counterpart while maintaining the same angular coverage. A new study has found that, like humans, octopus sleep in two stages, one quiet and one active. The findings, reported in the journal Science, are based on videos of captive Insularis octopus sleeping in their tanks. Researchers saw alternating phases of quiet sleep, in which the creatures were pale and still, followed by short bursts of active sleep, in which their skin turned darker and stiffened, they moved their eyes, and muscular twitches contracted their suckers. Mammals, birds and possibly reptiles undertake a two-stage sleep pattern, which is thought to help consolidate memories and remove waste from the brain. However, the reason for a two-stage sleeping pattern in octopus remains unclear, as the last common ancestor between vertebrates and mollusks existed more than half a billion years ago. Australia's nine media network was hit by a major cyber attack, which disrupted live television broadcasts across the country. The broadcast is still investigating whether the hack was criminal sabotage or the work of a foreign power. Nine recently broadcast programs critical of the governments of China, Russia and North Korea, all of whom have a long history of carrying out cyber attacks. 
The network, which also owns the Sydney Morning Herald and Age newspapers, says its publishing and radio divisions were largely unaffected by the attack. Meanwhile, Australia's federal parliament in Canberra was also targeted in a possible cyber attack, with access to several network systems deliberately isolated as a precaution after issues began affecting an external provider. With the details on this story and more, we're joined by Alex Saharov-Royt from ITY.com. The Nine Entertainment Network is one of Australia's biggest media organisations. They own Channel Nine TV networks, they own newspapers, they own major radio stations across Australia. And they were attacked, their TV network went down. The attack bears the hallmarks of ransomware, where they take computers offline by encrypting them. But according to reports, there's been no ransom requested or demanded as yet. So is this a demonstration of the power of people from nation states, be they the usual suspects of you know, Russia, China, North Korea, or others, it's unknown. But they can take the TV off air, they can disrupt the operations of one of Australia's biggest media companies. I mean, if there was a real cyber war, you'd have to imagine that you know a stack of companies, public utilities, government sites, you know phone towers, all these things would go offline all at the same time to cause major digital havoc. And it just goes to show that companies need to have backup systems in place. Apparently, Channel 9 was able to get its flagship Today Show, morning live you know, TV show, back online with some sort of backup system. But reports said they had hand-drawn graphics and get, you know awkward gaps in of silence as they were sort of trying to make it all glue it all together sort of thing live on air, so trying to fix the plane as it's flying, <laughs> you know. But it's scary stuff. And Australia's Parliament was also attacked, and apparently they took the IT and email systems offline as a precaution. And it sort of every company has to now think: Are we already being hacked? Are hackers already inside our system, slurping and siphoning off data? which they can then cripple us with by encrypting it, demanding a ransom payment. Sometimes people might even pay and not get anything encrypted and the uh, unencrypted and the information could leak onto the internet anyway. So it's like extortion where they still do the dirty on you. And um, I mean, this is something that's happening all over the world to even the biggest companies. So it's the reality of the world we live in now. And uh, big companies need to make sure they've got every protective measure. They need to act as if they're already infected or you know under attack and have to get all their data safe somewhere else without that data also being infected. Is this as simple as somebody clicking on an email from an unrecognized source, which they shouldn't have? Look, in 2021, it shouldn't be the case because every you know major security company says, "Oh, we handle ransomware," and you know the way that some of them do it, they look for the uh, unusual encryption of files in a rapid manner, and they stop that, and they have backup systems that can restore those files, even if they were already encrypted. And all of that's supposed to work in real time. Some of these things are because people have unpatched servers, mail servers, you know, other infrastructure, even old hardware that has vulnerabilities that haven't been patched and which allow attackers to run software of their choosing on your network. And so they're, they're basically inside and um, through these vulnerabilities and sometimes even zero-day vulnerabilities that, that there are no known patches for yet, they can be rummaging through your data and copying it. And then uh, when the time is right, I mean, apparently there were going to be TV shows about various governments tomorrow, you know, tonight as we're recording. Uh, strangely, the uh, networks went offline the day before. So it could be coincidence could be part of a, a major planned thing, but um, it shouldn't be as simple as opening up an attachment. Today's security software should stop that. So it seems to be much more sophisticated. The world's first holographic display that multiple people can look at together has arrived. This sounds like something straight out of Star Trek Discovery. Tell me about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, also Star Wars had holograms of famously. Course, but yes. It's if a you trap. do a search on <laughs> if you do a search on Indiegogo or Google, 
and you type in looking glass portraits, the way those words are spelled, no funny spellings there, they claim it's the first personal holographic display that can display images truly holographically that multiple people can see at the same time. Pepper's Ghost was only 2D. Sony has a device that lets people see it, but you've got to put glasses on and only one person can see it, and it's $5,000. But uh, this is a Kickstarter project, but according to the people that have made it, they've had you know they've made a, a previous uh, model, which wasn't as good as this particular one, which has got lots of different features. This is the model that's sort of bringing to the market. And if you look at the video and all the photos, it is impressive. There's even uh, someone holding a magnifying glass in front of their eye. And as you turn, or as the screen is turned around, the light that's captured from the magnifying glass, it, I mean, it really magnifies the eye in front of it and whatever is in front of it as you turn it around. And really, you have to go, you know, go to a looking glass portrait and find it and watch the video. It's a 7.9 inch screen. So it's about the size of an iPad mini. You can record 10 second video. You can even have interaction where if you have a leap motion sensor, and that came, about, came out about 10 years ago and were used in some of the original headsets, but it's still available to buy this, this sensor. And you can even interact with, you know, your hand can interact with balls bouncing around the screen. So it's a display. It's not just a photo frame. And even more interestingly, although there were fancy cameras and you can buy rails and you can get really great sort of panoramic type photos that can do this incredible 3D depth, the photos taken from an iPhone 12 or select Samsung cameras and others that have a LiDAR sensor or capture depth information when they take photos, you can just take a photo with one of those phones without any special extra equipment. It's the same and technology upload... they use for your facial recognition on those phones. And also for the bokeh yeah. effect. Um, uh, in the background where it, it fuzzles things out. It needs depth information to do that. So using that existing depth information, you can create a holographic photo, which is just incredible. What you've needed is one of these displays. Now, I'm, I'm sure that in the future, every display will be a holographic display. And of course, we did actually see 3D displays with something like the Nintendo DS, and it was sort of, wasn't that was more uh, 3D than holographic. I mean, but this year, it's um, impressive to see it and it's 249 US dollars to buy one or about $326 Australia. The age of holographic videos in your lounge room that, that appear in the middle of a space as opposed to just on a wall, we'll get, we're heading to, in that direction. Apple have just announced their latest iOS update. Tell us about it. Yeah, well, some people read that and thought, oh, iOS 14.5 is available, but no, not quite yet. It's iOS 14.4.2, which also is for iPad OS, and there's also Watch OS 7.3.3. And also, Apple is updating older devices that can't run iOS 13 or 14. So if your device has got iOS 12, like an iPhone 6 or certain older iPads, then you can update to 12.5.2. Now, why is it important to get this update? Well, because there has been an active exploitation of a vulnerability inside of uh, WebKit. What's and it WebKit? says here, well, WebKit is the rendering edge that is used by Apple's devices to show web content. And it says here that this vulnerability is processing maliciously crafted web content, which may lead to universal cross-site scripting. What and uh, Well, what it means is that the bad guys can run code on your devices. And once they can run their own code on your devices, then they can attack you in any way they want. They can go through your databases or file on you. They can be doing all sorts of things. They've got a way of running code on your phone that bypasses the protections that Apple has put on. And uh, in theory, you know, someone could be uh, listening to whatever you're saying through your Apple Watch because it's got a microphone in there and if they can activate that. I mean, that's why some government ministers will take their watch off before they go into cabinet meetings if they've got a smartwatch because they're, they're not sure if they've been hacked. So uh, this attack has been actively exploited according to Apple and so it's important to download the update straight away. It's only been three weeks since the last update and uh, there'll be another update soon with iOS 14.5 but normally when security updates are released it's important to install those as quickly as you can. That's Alex Aharov-Royt from ity.com.
that's the show for now. Space Time is available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, Bytes.com, SoundCloud, YouTube, your favorite podcast download provider, and from SpaceTimeWithStuartGary.com. Space Time's also broadcast through the National Science Foundation on Science Zone Radio and on both iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. And you can help to support our show by visiting the Spacetime store for a range of promotional merchandising goodies. Or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to triple episode commercial free versions of the show, as well as lots of bonus audio content which doesn't go to air, access to our exclusive Facebook group and other rewards. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.com for full details. And if you want more space time, please check out our blog, where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as heaps of images, news stories, loads of videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at StuartGary on Twitter, at SpacetimewithStuartGary on Instagram, through our Spacetime YouTube channel. And on Facebook, just go to facebook.com forward slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. And Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. 